Our culture's in a really messy time where men and women are pointing fingers at each other and diverse groups across the spectrum are trying to figure out new ways of having conversation that's meaningful and can actually help us achieve real change in the world we live in. It's complicated, perhaps more complicated than ever. And in the midst of all of that, our voice is genuinely really trying to make a difference. And one of those people is Richie Hardcore, who'll be joining us on the show today. We're going to talk a little bit about his journey, his work as an advocate, an educator, and the real life social issues he's trying to tackle from an informed perspective. I hope that you enjoy this conversation. I loved meeting Richie and where our conversation went, his gentleness, his humility, his kindness, and his genuine desire to learn more and share what he's learning with the world around him. Now, on The Transformationist, we welcome people exactly as they are. So I will give you a heads up. There's a little bit of language here. Please don't get offended. Uh, Instead, listen and hear the heart behind the words. Welcome to this episode of The Transformationist. Are you thirsty for inspiration and curious about the life-changing process of transformation? Welcome to The Transformationist. Whether you already know the transformation you're looking for or you're looking for guidance on the way there, these stories of hope will give you practical tips, plenty of encouragement and an invitation into real, life-giving transformation, whether you're transforming culture or becoming more yourself. Your story is welcome here. On this week's episode of The Transformationist, I'm delighted to have um, another Kiwi on the show. I do love bringing our Antipodean voices to the rest of the world. Um, His name is Richie Hardcore, and uh, whilst he made a name for himself initially as a Muay Thai fighter, um, he's now a really proactive, um, gentle, and yet also aggressive voice for changing some of the aspects or views that we have on masculinity and domestic violence and just about every kind of destruction of social behavior you could name. So welcome to the show, Richie Hardcore. It's so great to have you here. Hey, thanks for being interested in talking to me, Tash. It's really nice (laughs) to be here. (laughs) Well, it's not hard. I think it would be fair enough to say that you have a pretty dynamic and uh, pervasive social media presence. Um, So it's hard (laughs) not to be interested in talking to somebody who is talking so frequently about these issues. So um, maybe if you could introduce yourself in your own words and describe what you do because it is kind of vast and like you do lots of different things so you know give us a shot at, ex- at explaining it all yeah 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 i confuse myself with it all um well so i'm an educator and keynote speaker uh so i i travel a lot in australia and new zealand uh, and i talk about a range of topics but they're all interrelated so i'll talk about uh constructs of masculinity and how traditionally the traditional ones are shown to be harmful and what are some alternatives to that. I talk about uh, sexual violence prevention and family violence prevention, and that's on the same spectrum, like those things are are interconnected. Um, I talk about mental health and I talk, I do a little sometimes like motivational speaking, like this is where I come from and this is what, this is how I turned out good despite my adversity, you know, like that sort of story. And Mm -hmm. And I chat a little bit about um, just health and wellness from time to time as well, because when I'm not uh, speaking, 
I'm a personal trainer and kickboxing, well, Muay Thai coach. Um, I've done martial arts for 26 years now, and I used to be, uh, yeah, I was relatively successful as a fighter in a small country. I won a bunch of titles here in New Zealand and South Pacific title and got to fight in like Japan and Australia and in Thailand and stuff and picked up a lot of lessons along along that journey. And now I like to give back. Um, it's not just about the competitive fighting. It's more about helping people on their own sort of journey of, I don't know, wellness and self-esteem and, and, and martial arts has got a really, um, I don't know, like they say like the, the beauty martial arts can't be seen in experience and I think that's quite true. Like quite a lot of people look at what we do and just see the, you know, the blood and the guts and the violence and the macho posturing, which is not not the the good takeaways. That's the sort of stuff right. that, that, that kind of, it's the sort of stuff I sort of kind of try and Trojan horse, all those ideas around, hey, that mainstream concept of masculinity is real problematic. It's not about Conor McGregor flexing on TV. It's actually about <laughs> blah, 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 blah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, I do. And I'm, I'm really interested in, because uh, obviously, you know, and I'm sure this is, this is such, I try to avoid asking stock standard questions when I chat to people on the show. But, um, but I guess one of the standard questions that you probably get asked a lot is, well, you're all about kind of changing this face of masculinity and yet your background has been in this... Um, has been in this really violent sport. Mm. Is that something that you get asked a lot or that you yeah. have been asked in the past? Yeah, it's a, that's something that I have been asked a lot and it's something I'm always trying to figure out how to explain easily. I guess, mm. I guess for me, I have come up with using the term a false equivalency. So when I think about family violence or sexual violence in a comparative to a combat sport, that, that's a false equivalency. Because in a combat sport, there is consent, there is mutual respect, generally speaking, there mm. is an there's an adjudicator, uh, there's a set of rules that you have to abide by. Um, if, I, if someone within that competition says, I don't want to do this anymore, the fight ends. So there's a whole lot of mutually agreed upon understandings before that undertaking um, takes place. And while the outcome might look uh, rough, you know, people getting knocked out with their faces busted open, <laughs> which I've had, which I've done to people and had people do to me. Like mm. in in my twenty six years of being involved in martial arts, uh, the 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 respect between competitors and, and indeed around the worldwide community is is it's pretty it's pretty special. You know what I mean? Like. It's it's a it's a it's a rare thing where people can set aside race and creed and uh, lived history and lived experience and just hey let's see who's better at doing this today and and, mm. and try and and try and extend themselves as human beings through a test just like running a marathon perhaps or uh, doing Olympic lifting or whatever it may be. And that's very yeah. that's very different from family violence or sexual violence when we know it's about uh, unequal power dynamics. Uh, there's no consent, obviously. Mm -hmm. It's mm -hmm. it's 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 one person trying to exert uh, power over another emotionally as much as physically. Um, it's about ongoing control. It's about uh, social isolation. You know, there's no yeah. and there's no agreement from the victim to be involved in that. They just have mm -hmm. to endure that. So as good as I can explain it, a sport is very different to 
I mean, a, a lot of sports are, are, have contact and injuries in them too, you know, and I don't think, I don't think physical harm through, through athletic pursuits is necessarily something that we have to avoid as a society. Are we going to like not climb mountains or go running for long distances or play football mm-hmm. or rugby or hockey? It's just, it's just, it's just that I guess with fighting, I guess it, it, <laughs> like people think it's about, uh, I don't know, like I can see why people think it is like this negative social mm-hmm. and this negative thing for society. But, but for me, I'm just like, man, like I have this tattoo on my leg and it's the logo of my fight team. Like fighting saved my life, you know, like I, I, yeah. was, I was just, I was this really like insecure kid who come from like a dysfunctional family. And then I stepped into my very first martial arts school and, and just like found my, my peace, you know, like through, discipline and hard work and uh the pursuit of trying to not through trying to beat other people I bettered myself as a, as a human being you, do you know what yeah, I mean? yeah yeah and I love that I think one of the things that you that you said that really um stood out to me I think was you know often often that comparison of violence to violence or you know that 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 an act of physical aggression must be the same no matter what its context um and then when you talked about you know the the rules of engagements you know so to speak that that actually we we maybe have a tendency to look at the lowest common denominator and to look at that that first view but really what's going on is that um muay thai and so many of the other martial arts are actually about um creating a set of constructs and rules and ways of expressing respect and consent you know, to people who are who are participating in the group, which and I really like that. That's I've done a little bit of kickboxing in oh, my time, cool. and certainly, yeah. I mean, you know, like just n- n- not not anywhere near the same deal, but but found it to be a remarkably empowering experience um, because partly it started with the self respect piece, but also then um, then the kind of the way that you can engage with others through that process it was really quite amazing not not even not even in participating but even observing you know others so that was that was really interesting to me um can you talk to me a little bit more about um you know you sort of spoke a little bit about the the insecurity uh, and and muay thai kind of helping with that um what was it about what was it about that construct that that gave you a place of you know kind of expression of identity um that gave you a place to to sort of move beyond maybe some of that insecurity um yeah man like i i was a super insecure young person from like childhood right through to like to be honest, probably till like till I was nearly twenty or something, you know. Like, I mean, and to, and when I look back through my through my twenties and my thirties, it's just been this constant evolution. I just uh, didn't. I, you know, there's a difference between like winning your bed when you're ten years old and, mm. uh, and 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 getting validation from women who are attractive because actually you're still insecure. Do you know what I mean? But still, <laughs> yeah, there, do you know what I mean? Like, but this this kind of on the same spectrum, I guess. You know what I mean? You just cover your shit up with different things um mm-hmm. how, well i guess as my body um changed as i got like physically stronger and could you know run further <laughs> and faster and uh lift more weights and, and got better at that the, the skill side of of martial arts um i felt my i don't know i felt my ability to 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 use my voice grow at the same time. I, I, I literally used to be one of those kids who would walk around and to like shuffle my shoes and look at the ground. And while I had friends, like 
I'd always often preface anything I was going to say with an apology, like, oh, sorry, but, you know, or, you know, like, oh, that, my joke's not that funny, or I don't know, like, I just had this really low self-opinion. And I guess as I developed as a martial artist, there was this uh, simultaneous growth at, internally, I think. Mm. And, and I think that's what I'm trying to explain and not doing a very good job of it, that, that it's all the, oh, you're in, good. You're good. That's, 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 that's all the internal changes is what the public doesn't see. And that's what's mm. most, and that's what's most beneficial. Um, yeah, because, because I started, I stopped looking at the ground and I started walking straight, you know, like I started like, I started respecting myself, you know, and I think mm. for a long time, I didn't for whatever reason. And that's been a constant back and forth too. Like I'm nearly 40 now and it's just still like, you know, this ebbs and flows in my life where I'm like, oh, you're a piece of shit. And then, oh yeah, you're actually a contributing you're doing all right at life contributing to society you know what I mean yeah yeah and 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 martial arts has given me this sort of framework of consistent effort to um pour some of that energy into and get a growth out of yeah yeah which I which I love I think that that's that that's uh, there's something that I want to talk to you about and, you know, I was thinking maybe we'll talk to you about it a little bit later on, but really what you're touching on, it, like it's right there. It's, it's, it's your posture um, is probably one of the things that I've appreciated so much um, in terms of engaging with your messages on social media and, you know, and the, you know, the copious interviews that you do and all that kind of stuff. As you are, as you are so steadily working towards trying to um, instigate, initiate, foster, support, and nurture positive change in the world around you, um, at both like a personal level and then you know out in the world, mm. you just seem to have this posture of um, of continual leaning in, continual leaning into to learning, to adapting, to you know looking at, at, at different ways of of making it better. Is that something that's intentional on your part? It is intentional now. Uh, before, I just kind of was like, oh, that makes sense to me. I'm going to read as much about that as I can and see how that fits into my existing understandings of the world. I'm quite, mm. I'm quite good at I don't know if I'm good at it, but like I'll experience cognitive dissonance and be like, oh, yeah, how you were is shit change that don't do that anymore <laughs> so, <laughs> so do you know what I mean like but yeah so, so 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 I've been on this journey I guess for like 20 years now of oh that doesn't feel good and that doesn't make sense with my broader how I want the world to be and your actions aren't aligning with that and your understanding of the world aren't aligning of how you want the world to be and so you've you've got to change um I'm sorry did that alarm alert thing come through no, no, it's oh, good. Okay, You're okay. good. <laughs> uh, and I, I guess, I guess, I guess, something I've talked about in the past is that first really struck with me with um, first diet. So I became a vegetarian, and I eat a largely vegan, but not full vegan diet now because I was like, well, I'm not into. I'm trying to like create less harm on the planet, and mm. every day I'm eating murdered animals. And that doesn't really make sense, you know, like you, there's a simple thing you can do, which is, you know, every day I'll read something about how the seas are depleted and I'll see some environmentalists going on Twitter or whatever about how, 
you know, um, the oceans are dying and yada, yada, yada. And then they're straight off to eat like a fillet of fish. And I'm like, mm, that doesn't really work though. You know, <laughs> like you, you need to actually change. None of us are perfect. Like none of us are perfect. I'm like, I'm so full of contradictions and, and hypocrisies too. But for me, like one of the simple things I could do is change my diet. That was what mm-hmm. the, that was the first really big thing that I, I took on. And I've been a, a very strict vegetarian for 20 years now. And I eat an increasingly vegan diet. Uh, I don't, I struggle to eat a full vegan diet just because I travel a lot and I'm busy and my and being like optimally healthy is really important to me. Yeah, not yeah. Saying, not saying that you can't be vegan and optimally healthy, but for me, I find it hard. But I still think that doing something is better than doing nothing. And then the mm-hmm. next, the next big part of that journey, which is I guess what underpins all my work now, is um, my early discoveries of like feminist literature. You know, I was listening to like punk rock and hardcore and that music is really politicized, particularly in the late 90s and early 2000s. You know, like all those bands out of out of American shit were singing about like veganism and straight edge and and, and uh, environmentalism and, and feminism, too. And there was this band that I, I talked about once, I think in the very first public talk I ever gave in 2014 for Creative Mornings. And they're called Downset and they're from Los Angeles and I never met them. But they um, they did this really moving song called Ritual, and it's like one out of three, and they say my sisters are free, incarcerated by misogyny, something or other like that. Um, mm. and, and I was like, one out of three, what is that? And then you do a quick like look around, and it's like, oh, yo, one in three women are a victim of sexual violence in their lifetime. What the fuck? Like, how is that a thing? And while that statistic is more oftenly quoted as one of five these days, we still have like an endemic rate of sexual violence across the world. And I discovered that through through the music I was listening to. So I started reading around and and and, and then I had to start reflecting on like my own pornography use as a young man. Like I went to an all boys school and people would chuck around magazines and the internet came about and it really struck me that what we were looking at for our sexual gratification was quite at odds at my desire to end a world where women are routinely harassed and abused mm. and, and, and sexually assaulted. And um, I'm not saying that looking at porn makes you instantly a rapist. That's 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 not true. Might, but, that might be a leap too far. <laughs> that's a leap too far. But I am. But I have through 20 years of my of of reading and understanding these things academically that if we think that if we come to understand that actions come out of a culture which broadly accepts them and teaches them tacitly and explicitly, we need to understand that when we, we minimize and degrade women as beings and turn them into just things to fuck, which is quite often what mainstream heterosexual pornography does, mm. well, well, I can't be, I can't be trying to be part of the solution and consuming that. So mm. I, I had to go through this journey of like, oh, I'm going to stop looking at porn now too. And yeah, and, and I guess that's the sort of how I've figured things out as I've gone along, you know. Um, and It's kind and, of like yours is a practice of, it, it's almost like your, your learning practice actually is just a practice of first paying attention yeah. and then curiosity and exploration to understand, okay, what's the impact of this and therefore do I need to realign you know what's happening internally with what's happening externally yeah yeah exactly and i i just happen to do that publicly <laughs> and and <laughs> and that and that means that sometimes i can say the wrong thing or sometimes people can call me out on twitter for some shit i didn't even know about you know right yeah and and and, and that can be very painful and 
Um, and I definitely think there's a definite place that we need to talk about as, as an activist community or as a progressive community on, hey, how do we people help people come to new understandings in a way that's not about shaming and shaming them and um, humiliating them and ostracizing them? Because mm -hmm. we, we don't know what we don't know until we know it. And there's a way to be, I, there's this whole thing about like calling people in rather than calling them out. Oh, hey, man, yeah. I, I saw you said this thing and I just thought, I thought, Maybe for open conversation, we could talk about it, or maybe you didn't realize, or my lived experience. It's like instead of like, here's a thing you said six years ago, and I screenshotted at the time to use ammunition against you in the future, and that's going to be proof that you're a horrible person. Do you, do you know what I mean? Like yeah, that. I think that one of the dangerous things about that social media world that we live in at a time when, you know, perhaps more of us than ever before are trying to use those platforms to talk about the change we want to see. Mm. I just I just feel a lot a lot of the time I, I you know, I feel like it's actually pushing us further away oh my from God. the real conversation. You know? Thank you. Thank you, yes. Cause I'm starting to I'm I'm quite shy about writing. Like I have a blog that I write write on literally about like twice a year and it looks dumb, but like <laughs> I've actually really wanted to write a thing about that because um, I paid uh, I pay a lot of attention to these constructs, these conversations about constructs of masculinity, you know, like I just did a TED talk, TEDx talk on it back in October and then all of a sudden, boom, American Psychological Association comes out with, hey, mainstream masculinity as it's, constructed and, and conveyed is problematic psychologically for men and here are some ways you can deal with that massive pushback and then Gillette comes about comes out with their um their hugely controversial ad huge pushback and what right. i'm what i'm trying to understand is like yo what i'm what i think is happening is that when people feel attacked, they retreat further into their reactionary viewpoints or they re retreat further into um, what's always made them feel safe. And, yeah. and, what, 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 and, 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 you know, all that, all those conversations around privilege, you know, like when you don't understand, because privilege is unconscious and, and, and quite often we're unaware that we have it until someone distinctly sits down and talks to us about what that even is, you know. So if, mm -hmm. you're, if you're just a regular guy, like, who happens to be of European descent, you've probably never had a conversation about the fact that your uh, heterosexuality and your skin color and your sex give you, like, unearned advantages in society. Because when the fuck do you ever talk about that at, at, when you're out with your bros? You know, like, that's not a regular conversation. That's a very nuanced, distinct conversation. And then you have all these people on the internet in the – social justice movement expecting Joe blogs to, to get that. And yeah, so, yeah. So, so they're like, yo, you're a bad person, fucking misogynist piece of shit. Like, uh, and then it becomes like, oh, well those feminazis are crazy because there's no middle ground there. Mm -hmm. You know, like everybody I, just retreats to the corners. Everyone just, everyone just retreats to corners and it's just, it's just ugly. And, and increasingly I think that's what's happening. So everyone's feeling really got at on either side of the conversation and nothing positive really happens. So, mm. so with the Gillette ad, sorry, you want to go? Cause I'm going, I'm like going off. <laughs> I'm going off. Well, I was, uh, the, the thing that I want to say, and we could, let's come back and talk to that Gillette ad. Cause I do want to talk about like, at some point I want to get to, you know, is there an opposite to toxic masculinity? Yeah. But, but the thing that I wanted to get to is, um, 
you know, I think you're probably a good example where because you are in the front lines and you are allowing your kind of human evolution to be relatively public, um, you know, you're someone who has actually pretty personally experienced the backlash quite a bit. Um, and And I guess, you know, I observe that you know, in a third party kind of way, you know, several steps removed. And, and I just wonder, like, are we, is what we, is what we're experiencing now, I guess I'm wondering, is it just that we're experiencing our culture learning how to grapple with these questions in a way that they haven't before? And so everybody's kind of at, again, it's that like base level, entry level, I'm going to, I know that I need to step into this conversation, but I'm going to step in with a statement instead of with a question. Mm. Even even though we know that the question would be would be better, but but I just don't know how else to go, and and that's the piece that I that I'm so I'm so longing to see us get to, is the point where you know instead of you being called out on you know Twitter or whatever for whatever it is that that you might have said that somebody is able to engage with you and say, can you explain a little bit more about that? Yes, like, I love help it. me help me understand that. <laughs> I love you saying that. So, so you know, I have a so I have a I have a modest following on my public Facebook page and Instagram and Twitter and stuff. And I was having this conversation on my Facebook page yesterday because I got I, these guys who were saying this really fucked up, like uh, super racist, like racist. They had this racist ideology that like IQ and intelligence in general was racially defined. Like they were trying to argue with all the pseudoscience that. Uh, you know, they were drawing on like Stephen Molyneux and Jordan Peterson and stuff. And I was like, yo, this is hectic. But I didn't want to just straight up ban them. And, and I was trying to be like, how do you have a conversation with people publicly that doesn't spread hateful ideas and ideology, but at the same, mm-hmm. time, but at the same time challenges that? And then there's this um, older woman who's who's really engaged on my Facebook page, and she turns out to be a teacher, and um, she DM'd me, and, and I really appreciate it because she's, like, super onto it. You know, like, I think that's the thing. Like, when you put yourself out there as a dude who's like, I'm open to talk about anything and learn publicly, a lot of people get into it. It's, like, real cool. Like, I'm really, yeah. I'm really stoked on, like, my online community, you know, like while my social media use can be a bit too much for me and for my personal life. And I'm learning to put parameters on not being on my phone all the time. Some of the, (laughs) some of the conversations are awesome, you know, and and this, this woman, her name's Sandy. She won't mind mentioning it. I've met her. She came to my TEDx talk and she's like, I really want to meet you, you know? And I was like, yo, you're awesome. Thanks. And she's a teacher. And she said exactly what you said. She said instead of telling people off or like or like shooting them down or shutting them down, ask them to explain themselves. You know, mm. like why do you think that, or in your experience, why is that, or blah 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 blah. And then it, it it opens up a conversation because I think what we're doing more and more on the internet, at least, and it, and that does transfer into you know in person interactions is we're talking at each other and talking past each other, and we're trying to talk to win. We want to yeah. prove, we'll prove how right we are and how more virt, much more virtuous we are or how much more stupid the other person is or whatever. Instead, it's mm. like, well, why don't we talk to kind of understand one another's viewpoints and maybe somewhere in the middle with some of that stuff there's actually like a good balance. Some things are outright misogynistic and racist and classist and they they don't deserve any consideration. But other people um, who perhaps are more moderate and just have never had these conversations before would be really awesome allies and be, would do the work too 
if we just helped helped um, them understand that where we're coming from as people mm-hmm. who, who want to sort of make the world better. Do, do you know what I mean? And I, yeah, I've, had to, I've had to do that myself too because I used to kind of talk on behalf of, I guess, people. You know, right? Like, yeah, yeah. Uh, so without, you pick up the microphone, regardless of whether or not you were invited to be the spokesperson. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I thought, and it was coming from a good place, but then oh, sometimes, of course. So, because I was always like, "Yo, dude, should stand up for like women or whatever." Do you know what I mean? Or, mm-hmm. but sometimes I'm like, "Oh, maybe that's not my space." You know what I mean? It, maybe it's good to just, hey, do you, I, I actually asked um, the Green MP uh, Golras um, Grauman? Sorry if I pronounced her name wrong. Uh, this question at a, an event recently. How, how do we better use our privilege to help people who have been historically marginalised and oppressed? I know it's sounding a bit jargony, and I'm sorry if you're listening to this. And you're like, <laughs> but but I don't have a better way of saying it. And she's like, well, you could always just ask that the person or the group that you're you you're allying with, like, oh hey, like I saw this. Would you be comfortable if I responded or yada yada yada? You know what I mean. Mm-hmm. So I think that's a space. And then and then like I think there is also like there is a, a time and place to just stand up and be like, hey, yo, that's not that's not what's up. You know, like that's that's wrong. You know, like how you're speaking right now is uh, it's entrenching the status quo and and that status quo, whatever we're talking about. When a guy makes a rapey joke, you know, yeah, and, and you're like, "Yo, man, like, you know, probably didn't mean it, but when you joke about rape, you're kind of tacitly supporting um, the status quo that we have, where you know, one to three to one to five women are a victim of sexual violence." And they're like, "No, bro, I'm just joking." I'm like, "Yeah, but rape's not a funny thing, bro," you know. And then you have that sort of conversation. I think that I think guys need to learn to do that. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Similarly with like race, you know, I, I got really moved last night by um, the latest um, Viggo Mortensen's film called mm-hmm. uh, The Green Book. Have you seen that? Yeah. No, it's on, it's on my list. It's on my list. Oh my, oh, my God. Like I was laughing. It was very human. It's a very touching film. And they did a great job. They did a great job talking about um, that historic friendship. And when you look at the racism that um, – that, you know, modern America still lives with, but, you know, before the South was desegregated and stuff, it's so heartbreaking. And then we have to understand that was only, like, 40 fucking years ago, you know? Like, Mm -hmm. it wasn't a long, 40, 50 years ago. Like, it wasn't a long time ago. And, like, we still have African-American people getting killed by police and incarcerated uh, at far higher rates than than people who aren't of colour and, and that shit transfers like around the world, you know, like who makes up all the worst social statistics is you know, colonized peoples, you know. And I don't think that's like massively ideological to say. It's just like, fuck, when you go into a country and like take all their land and resources and prevent people from speaking their language and m- murder like a huge percentage of them through uh, force or disease. Like, yeah. of course, it's going to take fucking generations to get over. But a lot mm-hmm. of a lot of people don't stop and thinking about having those conversations, particularly in a neoliberal society where we're where we blame the individual for the situation. You didn't work hard enough, or you were lazy at school. That's why you got a shit job, you know, or no job. Instead of looking at like the broader uh, context and environment in which an individual finds it, I, I really struggle to think 
yo, how can you think that the neighborhood someone lives in, the access to food, the type of school they go to, um, their parents' work experience, the friends of their parents, like how does that not affect like the outcomes of a person's fucking life? You can't just say, well, everyone's got equal opportunity. Well, that's not mm-hmm. true. That's not true. You know what I mean? So, yeah. so it's like, how do you have those conversations with people in a way that doesn't get their back up? I think that's where the battle lies, you know, to come back to mm-hmm. your point, you know, like, because I sometimes just, to be honest, sometimes I want to go back to where I come from and be like, yo, fuck you, motherfucker, you're a fucking idiot, you know, like, <laughs> like, like, but I have to like, but you know, I'm like, yo, fuck, come in the gym, we'll fight about this, you know, like, I have to like, to be honest with you, sometimes I do get really frustrated and go back to like those adolescent defaults in my head and and, and and then be like, actually, dude, you just have to be patient and bite your fingers and you don't actually have to reply right now. And you mm-hmm. know, how is this going to be? How, how do you make this conversation constructive? And, and, and I think the, 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 the good thing for me is having been on the, the negative end of being called out, like while it's painful and it's um, fucks with your mental health. Mm. And you worry about, oh, it's just going to affect my career and my speaking engagement is going to dry up or whatever. Um, it's also like, okay, cool. Well, that's how it feels to be on the end of, of that. Don't do that yourself, you know, and, it, and, mm-hmm. and, and, and find a constructive way to have this conversation. And, and, and increasingly that's what I'm trying to do. How much do you think, um, I mean, obviously the various initiatives that you're involved with, but particularly, you know, some of the things I think about, um, you know, One Step is, is All It Takes, the, the running club, oh, yeah. you know, which is really focused on like getting people moving as a way of proactively addressing mental wellness. How yeah. much do you think some of those initiatives are actually, you know, just proactive expressions of, of how you're learning to, to sort of maintain this trajectory and discipline around continuing to have these conversations that are really hard and kind of demoralize you. So can you, can you rephrase that or ask me that again? Like how, how yeah, well, I'm just wondering like how much of it, like would you know, would you have, would you have found yourself doing as broad a work as you do around issues of like health and wellness oh, and yeah. mental health, yeah. you know, if, if it weren't for needing to take care of yourself oh, yeah, um, sure. as you go about this work. Yeah, yeah. Oh, like for me, like it's that old adage, man. Like the personal is political. Like everything I do stems from my lived experience. So all my advocacy work around mental health comes from the fact that, like, I've been really suicidally depressed before. Like I've had really bad anxiety before from, um, re- you know, re- what they call reactive depression. Mm. You know, like, and, and and I'm fortunate enough that I had really good habits in place and embedded in my lifestyle before I experienced that, that I had a fallback to go to, which was mm-hmm. exercise, um, a history of, of psychotherapy and visiting psychologists and uh, a supportive community and also my sobriety. Um, those are all things that helped me get through like a very prolonged period of depression and, and, and anxiety. And so I want to share that with people with, um, with help of others. So, so one step actually was the idea of my good friend, Lydia O'Donnell, who's like a champion marathon runner. She just came like 20th at the New York marathon last year, which is fucking, wow. yo, that's insane. Mm-hmm. And, and, um, you know, she, she's got some, she, she, there's mental health issues within her family and she got in touch and she was like, yo, you talk about mental health all the time. Um, let's set up this run crew 
And so we have this running crew every Monday and here in Auckland. And, and to be honest, the numbers are quite low at the moment. But like what's happened is that little one step is all it takes have popped up all around New Zealand and now Australia too. Like people have mm-hmm. got in touch and like, oh, hey, can we can can we do that where we live? And we're like, fuck, yeah, you can. And like, yeah, like high five person on the Internet. Like it's and it's really exciting to see that because a lot of what not everyone, some people do need um uh ongoing uh pharmacological uh you know drugs to help with them mm-hmm. and we do help there's not saying that it's not a place for for drugs um but but a but lot it helps of, but it but it helps you know for there's so much yeah. more science about like if you exercise if you sleep more if you uh if you don't use illicit drugs and alcohol if you eat better uh, if you talk, like those things are really, really good for our mental health, but we're increasingly moving a- away from them in a modern world where we're all like stuck in our cell phones and we don't move often because our job is sitting tree and we hardly mm-hmm. see our friends, you know? So it's all just the stuff. So, so yeah, so, so yeah, so that's a very personal, like this is what's worked for me personally. And then it's, you know, quote unquote evidence based as well. So let's try and promote it using whatever humble channels that we have. Same with my, all my work around you know, family violence. Like I grew up in a household that had family violence in it and I, and, and it's, it was fucking awful and it's impacted me personally my my whole life to some degree. And mm. how do I help make society better in some way so perhaps other children don't grow up like that? So let's um let's let's talk about that for a second because I know that uh, I know that uh, you, you came from a background of domestic violence. You've talked about your your dad sort of moving in and out of sobriety and some of the impacts of that. Um, what's really fascinating, um, I think, about your story is that your your background is not it's not a typical it's not a typical story of this is what I grew up in, this is who I became, therefore, and then I had to fight my way out of that. But actually. Um, you talk you talk and you have talked in the past about making conscious choices to just not go down that path at all and so from a pretty early early on age just as you sort of mentioned you were kind of straight edge and 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 choosing that path you know what what was the motivation like how did you become the person that you are now um and with this kind of view of constantly wanting the world to be at a better place and to change it how did how did that happen for you Oh, yo. Um, well, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I grew up. So my household wasn't, my household was very unstable all the time. And there was a lot of like emotional, I guess, emotional violence or, you know, emotional mm-hmm. abuse and a lot of name calling and yelling and screaming and stuff getting smashed and shit like that all the time. Uh, the physical violence was a feature, but it wasn't like a super regular feature. And I've talked to both my parents about that because, I think it's important to acknowledge that my dad's changed and made his apologies and he's done yeah. done the work and like I really love my dad and my dad's awesome because I'm I guess I'm like a degree of a public person and I'm like hey do you mind if I talk about what what my fucking early life was like and he's always been like as long as you don't embellish it and you're and it helps other people then I'm more than happy for you to do that I think that's really big you know so yeah that's awesome like yeah. and, and kudos because it's a special kind of it's a special kind of person that is able to you know share not just their triumphs but also you know to also allow the lesson yeah. to be in in the failing that's 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 awesome 
And just like that, it's time for the ad read. Now, we're talking about some pretty serious stuff in this episode, and undoubtedly, you've probably already heard something you either firmly agree with or you couldn't disagree more. Tell me all about it. Come over and join the Facebook page, Tash McGill, writer and strategist, or the Transformationist Podcast with Tash McGill Facebook group. Either place, you are welcome with your ideas, opinions, and what you've got to contribute to this conversation about how we make our way towards having better conversations in the world. I want to hear from you. I welcome your opinion. Please hit us up over there or at the website, thetransformationist.org. So, so yeah, so those early experiences really kind of made me just kind of, you know, that's kind of why I was so insecure and whatnot. But um, from a young age, I kind of was like, yo, everything's kind of fucked. Like, how do we make things different, you know? And so I gravitated towards, as I was saying earlier, like the punk and hardcore scene, hip-hop too, you know, music that was angry, music, but, but eventually I found music that was angry about something. So I moved from mm-hmm. like, so... Um, those ideas of those bands really kind of were like, oh, yo, this is something I can fully, like it really resonated with me on a deep level, um, the, the injustices of the world. And then I just guess I've been on this journey to try and deepen my understanding of them on an academic viewpoint and adjust my life accordingly. And that's the same with like sobriety. My house was like a mess when I was a teenager. So when my friends were, some, I had some older friends in the city who were like older and cooler <laughs> and they had good style and they um, were straight edged, you know, they, they had taken this pledge to like uh, never drink drugs and smoke and, and they made these really conscious choices and they kind of made it cool, I guess, without being like the Christian youth group. You know, they had, mm-hmm. they had like sick bands and like everything was fun. And, and, you know, I flew to New York when I was 19 years old and we just hang out in New York for three months and go to like fucking gnarly underground clubs and jumbo stages and like did my job. most of that sober, you know. Like, I didn't call myself straight edge till I was 26. Mm-hmm. Um, like I did experiment a little bit with alcohol and drugs, but it never became a excuse me, a, a lifestyle for me. Um, and that's in part because I had this deep reservation because of understanding the genetic history of alcoholism and then my lived experience. And then also the older I got, the more I saw that alcohol and other substance use around me was like hamstringing people. Like, uh, I, you know, I had friends who would be fucked up every weekend, you know. And when you grow up in an unstable environment, quite often what um, becomes common for you or feels familiar for you or even, like, is your comfortable place is being in instability, you know. So I've had to – so I've always gravitated towards people who party a lot or do a lot of drugs or or extreme in other ways, you know, like they're, they're ultra athletes or they're, you know, gnarly MMA fighters or – they're ex- extreme achieving people or politicians or business people, you know, like I'm not particularly good with the middle ground, you know, like I quite always feel comfortable with like kind of out, out on the fringes, you know what I mean? And so that means like I've always been around a lot of people who've had some degree of like substance use or mental health shit and going on. And I don't know, like I've, I've had to be like, well, this doesn't work, you know, like, so I need to change myself. And when I was younger, I get I got quite self-righteous and angry with my personal choices. And it was one of those, mm-hmm. this is like before Twitter was a thing, but like 
I, feel, <laughs> I was like, you know, like people come to my house. I'm like, yo, you can't smoke in my house. You know, like you have to go out on the street and smoke, you know, like I was quite like judgy or like, you know, this is how you recycle properly, you ignorant motherfucker, you know? <laughs> like, or, <laughs> did you know what I mean? Like, and, yeah. I, and, and as I've gotten older and mellowed and made some really big mistakes in my personal life and hurt people I've really cared about, I've had to um, humble myself and realize I didn't actually have it all figured out when I was like 29 and graduating from university just because I had it. What? what? Isn't yeah. that the standard? I yeah. mean, I thought we all had it figured out by I, then. I know, and that's the thing. That's a, You know, we talk, you, we've been talking about this, this whole like call-out culture and stuff. A lot of the people, and this isn't ageist, but like a lot of the people that I see perpetrating that that nasty, toxic environment online, they're quite young. I'm like, yeah, yeah. I, I don't know, like what your lived experience is by the time you're 27, but I'm telling you what, man, like wait till you get in your 30s and you fuck up some shit like I have, it'll humble mm-hmm. you and you'll be forced to reflect on yourself. You know what I mean, like. Because I was a bit of a self-righteous dick when I was in my 20s, and, and <laughs> you know? And, and, yeah. and I've had to look at that and be like, oh, that's actually was sucked, and it actually made people I care about uh, step back from me instead of mm-hmm. instead of bringing them in. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I mean, one of the things that when, when I was first designing the, this podcast in particular, uh, and, you know, I was kind of brainstorming, like, who, who's who's going to be interested in this? Who's going to be interested in these types of conversations? And w- and one of the things that I, that I wrote down was that, you know, people who, um, this show is really for people who have got to their early or mid-30s and they've realised that, that the way that they've been thinking up till now is not going to be the type of thinking that kind of moves them into the next stage. Yeah. Because I do think there is this, there's this partly it's just, you know, your human evolution of growing up, but there is there's something that, that failure that that like that deep personal failure that happens internally, right? It's not when you get fired from a job. It's not when you, you know, it's not that stuff that ex, that's external. It's the internal failure when you realize that you've let yourself down or the idea of who you wanted to be oh and you God. didn't know any better at the time. But that's like that. That's such a critical and pinnacle moment of like growing up. I think. Like I feel like that's that's the point when you really grow up is when you realize for the first time that actually you're entirely responsible for the situation that you found yourself in by the choices you've made and the thoughts and the whatever, and you can also then make choices to be different. And oh what's God. fascinating to me about you, Richie, is that it's it's almost like you had that way earlier <laughs> than anybody else. Well, that's fucking profound, Tash. And just like I've never talked to you before now, but now I like I'm like we should totally be friends, like because. <laughs> That's a really good thing you said. Like, this person's smart. Like, yeah, that's it. No, 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 no. But seriously, like, I kind of was on this trajectory of, like, I'm, you know, like, I'm rejecting all these things that I think are societally problematic and I'm impacting them on my personal life. But then my marriage ended because I had an affair. It's not like, um, and, well, it wasn't a healthy relationship on a whole bunch of levels. Mm -hmm. I wasn't cognizant of any of that stuff, and I just ended. My, it just ended in this big mess, and it, and I carried, and I still carry, you know, like fucking years and years later, like so much shame about that poor choice mm. of actions, mm. and because I, I, despite you know, like the fact that I didn't have the emotional literacy and I didn't have the communicative tools, and I have, you know, like a personal history of dis, you know, dysfunction and my, all this sort of stuff, like. I could use those excuses and be like, I'm not a bad person, blah, blah, blah. I just did it because of this. But the fact of the matter is, is like I hurt someone I really, really love. Um, 
by doing that and i hurt myself in the in the in the process and and, and all the people around us and you know it's a fucking it's a real it's a whole different podcast but like that is the internal failing that i did really really young and for ever since then have been on this journey of like you don't have it all figured out um mm. you have to stay humble uh and you have to help other people if they want to uh go go on that journey as well and 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 that's what I've come to do. I just kind of put my shit out there. And <laughs> there's this comedian, there's this comedian like DeRay Davis. Do you know DeRay Davis? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I don't imagine he, everyone would like him. He's not particularly <laughs> like gentle. Like he's like a far roar Dave Chappelle, you know? <laughs> but, yeah, like, yeah. But DeRay Davis does this thing where he's like, I put my shit out in the street, motherfucker. People will be like, oh, you did this? He's like, I know, motherfucker. I told you, you know? And I'm like, that's me. I just put all my shit out there. And if you if you, if you you want to weaponize it against me, well, that's on you. But if, if you want to talk about it and what I learned from it and how that impacts what I do now and who I am and how it's actually made me through all the pain and the tears and the poor mental health a better person, these are my learnings and my takeaways. And that, that genuinely underpins a lot of, of what I do, you know. Mm, mm-hmm. Which I think is a gift, right? And that's the gift that that's the gift that growing up brings. And it's the gift that that self-reflection, self-awareness, and that ability to acknowledge, you know, however humbling it might be, but to acknowledge those those moments that become pivotal in our own transformation. I, you know, I just kind of um I often like to think that that if you know, if I, I'm not a parent, but if I had the opportunity to parent, um, the things that I would focus on would just not be the traditional education stuff. Oh. You know, I want to, I want to raise kids in the world who are critical thinkers, who have high emotional intelligence, who are highly self-aware, but most, most importantly, are able to, you know, are able to set themselves on a trajectory of, uh, constantly aligning the internal value structure and what they are learning about how they are and be and can respond and give to the world constantly aligning that internal story with their external practice and and I think you know there's so much that sort of an industrialized education system contributes there's so much that our very classist colonial society contributes to that but 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 making a change and doing what you can is is such a gift to to bring the world. I, I wanted to ask if it's okay, you know, is there an alternative narrative to to the toxic masculinity story that we're talking about at the moment? And this kind of brings us back to that Gillette ad, right? Mm. Where Gillette comes out and makes a statement where they're trying to make a statement that's, I think, like I felt like they were trying to make a statement that was somewhat restorative that was somewhat you know saying hey we're gonna fly the flag here for you know for a different way of 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 being masculine um and as you say like massive backlash straight away Mm. um so i'm interested like i'm interested in your thoughts on that because because you uh, because you have um campaigned and talk about a different way of approaching masculinity you know um i'd love to know what you think yeah definitely well yeah, there definitely is. So, so, so I've come to I'm coming to think that the term toxic masculinity isn't that helpful, at least for. Amen. Yeah. Amen. And, and, I still agree. Yeah, and, and I think I mean as an academic jargon, I mean sure it might be helpful for academic circles or for activist circles, but I think as a forwards facing tool, it actually does more harm than good, because what I'm learning is that when. Joe in the street hears toxic masculinity, they hear men are bad. 
Mm. And, and I don't think men are bad. I think our constructs of what we expect men to be like are bad. So that's what toxic masculinity is. When we expect boys to not wear pink, to have muscles, to be good at sports, to win at all time, to have a primacy of work, to have a disdain for homosexuals, to um, to be sexually promiscuous and flagrant with people's feelings, to uh, be stoic and unemotional and unexpressive, those things are problematic for for men as as much as for women, you know. Mm. So the opposite of those things is uh, being nurturing, being emotionally expressive, uh, being a good communicator, uh, not having to, you know, understanding that you don't have to work like 70 hours at the detriment of your family and raising your kids or your friendships. Um, you can do all of those things and still drink a few beers, enjoy the, enjoy the rugby or the NFL, um, play baseball, lift weights, um, get laid. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, like, like if I'm being flippant and, and, and talking amongst, you know, peers, being a decent man means you probably get laid more if you just want to have, you know, casual sex with people in an informed, kind, consensual manner. You know, there's this yeah. whole, there's this whole horrible, because there's nothing wrong with casual sex, but there's this whole, I got in this fucked up, like black hole of the internet last night, looking at like pickup artists and like neo-masculinists and like, like really horrible, horrible masculine ideology. Mm. Guys standing around with guns, hashtagging super toxic masculinity with like beards and muscles. And I was like, what is going on? That, when no one is saying that being a man is bad, but we're saying that when you think women are pieces of meat and they're stupid and they're just there to be fucked and like bros before hoes, that's what the problem is. When you don't see the problem with... Uh, wolf whistling and sexual objectification and sexual harassment and and talking down to women in the workplace that's the toxic masculinity those those are the negatives that we're saying and I think unfortunately more moderate guys the guys who are on are on the fence are hearing terms like toxic masculinity and seeing the Juliet ad and feeling like everyone's pointing the finger at them as being part of the problem we're not mm. we're not saying you're doing bad things or you're bad but we are saying that when you laugh at those jokes, when you don't challenge your friends who might make those those flippant sexist statements, that you're kind. That's where the problem is. Like all it takes for bad things to happen is for good people to do nothing. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like yeah. what what we actually want is for all these good guys, and I would argue that most men are good guys, to be like, oh, yo, man, that's messed up. And we see that role model in the Gillette ad, and I thought that was really good because it. Because it showed problematic behavior or action, and then here's a simple solution. You're like, you, and, and I think, and, and, and I don't know, but there's something done about that that made so many men, not just those hyper hyper masculine guys, <laughs> like guys that that I was exploring last night, go crazy. It was, I think, a lot of more moderate guys felt got at too, and that comes back to what we were talking about earlier, Tash when it's perhaps not what we're saying but how we're saying it that makes the difference i think yeah i think men in general by their ad not just guys who, are, who i would argue were problematic but regular dudes they felt really called out like in mass you know and mm-hmm. so so 
yeah, sure, you could argue that there is a knee-jerk response to that from, you know, privilege. You know, privileged people always feel threatened and pushed back when their privilege is challenged, right? But, yeah. but, but at the same time, I think the goals of that were good. You can be cynical and be like, they're just doing it to get people talking and sell more raises. Sure. But, you know, the philosopher Peter Singer says, if even you get a self, if even if there's a positive outcome for yourself from doing a good act, it still doesn't take away how good the act is, right? Yeah, absolutely. But like if I if I sponsored uh, a team that had no money and couldn't otherwise perform and I just wanted my name on the shirt, like that's that's win-win, you know? And I yeah, think, totally. And I think that's the same with um, – I think that's the same with this ad. I think we've started. I think Gillette were brave in that they challenged their own advertising. So when those kids run through the old, the old ad at the <laughs> outset of it, and it's like, is this the best a man can get? You know, like the mm -hmm. the, the alpha male looking dude scoring the the you know heteronormative standard of beauty woman. <laughs> you know? Thank you, thank you for all your qualifiers. There. Uh, you have no idea how terrified I am of the internet, Tash. Like, I'm terrified <laughs> of the fucking internet. Even the fact <laughs> that I told you that I had an affair like a million years ago, I'm like, oh no, people are going to think I'm a terrible piece of shit now. Like, uh, Don't worry, mate. I won't like, use it in the promo clip. It'll be fine. Uh, yeah, thanks. Please don't. <laughs> but like, People, I, I've, I've, you know, despite the fact that I'm, I'm, I'm super hyper aware of how things can get lost on the internet, I and mean, it's a soundbite culture, and mm. so, um, so yeah, I guess it's important for me to qualify things. I think, yeah, <laughs> do you know what I mean? Yeah, I'm, no, I do. I think one of the things that was interesting about that, 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 and you, the, the ad, and I think you touched on it, is that if they had, if they had hyperbolized the characters in that ad. Then I don't think I don't think it would have been an issue, but because they didn't hyperbolize, because it because it was so, um, every guy, it, so, it felt so accessible. It felt so every guy exactly. And yeah. and one of the things that that you know, yeah, there probably was an ad agency behind it who was hoping that they could make again a statement, not ask a question, but make a statement, and and then you know maybe win some ad awards and what have you. But as someone said to me, you know, advertising is the common man's art now, and so mm. we live in such a brand saturated world mm. that the brands we associate ourselves with and the advertising that we see actually becomes, you know, that becomes our, our Monet and that becomes our Van Gogh and that becomes our, yeah, you know, yeah. our, our Andy Warhols. Yeah, um, yeah, that's deep. Which is, you know, which is fascinating when you think about, like, how much reaction just, a, you know, a, a, simple, a simple TVC, you know, can kind of capture. Correct. I, I, um, oh, I had something smart to say, but it's gone. Um, when I think about that ad... There are people on the other end of it who, so I, was, I, I think that I think that so basically the ad is what I do for work in one minute and like forty seconds. You know what I mean? So <laughs> yeah. so when I go present at a school, I'm jokey and you know I'm covered in fucking tattoos and I always talk about my old past as a kickboxing to get some buy-in, particularly from young men. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like I'm like, yo, this is my shit, dude. Like what the fuck, you know? But then I try and just give them some critical filters to understand. You know, this is the world we live in. We listen to Post Malone rapping about, um, you know, fucking a chick until she screams no mass. We rap, mm -hmm. you know, like ASAP Ferg is like, I fuck your bitch, nigga. She's about to fuck my crew. You know, it's like, on, 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 like online pornography is increasingly 
Well, it depends on what research you read. It's gotten to a point where it's degrading and perhaps it's staying there. It's not getting mm-hmm. worse. But you can Google – the fact that you can Google search and masturbate to a video that's got the word rape in the title or stepdad, fuck stepdaughter, or mm-hmm. fuck my stepsister, and all this intrafamilial sex, which has become normalized on, you know, Pornhub. Like, I talk people, you know, men and women, people – you know, of all walks of life through these sorts of things to try and give them a critical filter and understand you're not bad because you're a man. No one is saying that. I'm a fucking man. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm not, I'm definitely not self-hating, whatever you might want to say. <laughs> like I'm, <laughs> I've spent a long time learning to like myself. I promise you. <laughs> and, and, and what we're saying is that what we're teaching you about what the expectations of manhood are, of masculinity are, that's where the problem lies. And we mm. need to give you critical filters so that you can inoculate yourself against them. We need you to understand that it's not true that boys don't cry. It's not true that it's bros before hoes. It's not true that you have to use your fist to solve problems. It's not true that, you know, all women are like super irrational and all guys are super logical and that boys wear blue and girls wear pink. Those things aren't true. Those things are social constructs. It's not saying men and women are the same biologically. Sure, they're different. I don't want men fighting women in boxing, you know? Like, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I don't want, you know, like, I don't want, I'm not saying these things. I'm not saying that there aren't some differences between men and women. That's just scientifically untrue. But when it comes to, like, gendering behaviors, saying these behaviors are accepted for men and these behaviors are accepted for women, and if you step outside of them, that's somehow like transgressive and we need to punish you, that's where the problem lies. Because it's the teasing and the bullying and the ostracization that we do to boys who don't fit that alpha male sort of model, that's that's the problem. And then when we lock those alpha males in those, well, not alpha males, when we lock Joe Bloggs in that box of prescribed social behavior, why do you think we've got so much psychological distress for young men? Why are, mm. young, why are young men killing themselves? You know, who makes up the bulk of uh, our prison populations? Young men. Homicide perpetrators and homicide victims are young men. Perpetrators of family and sexual violence. Men, you know, like, because from a, from for so long, we're like, this is what you need to be like. And none of us actually fucking fit in that box. Mm. Which I think is probably the you know one of the one of the most uh, beautiful and yet hard to grasp truths is that you know n- none of us actually not, whether male or female um, or you know however you might identify none of us actually fit into the social construct that's been designed for us Dude, because uh, we're, t- we're too unique and those constructs are hundreds of years old in a society that is that has changed beyond 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 and I am definitely cognizant of that. I've had to, I've put myself in those boxes, you know, like, do you know when kids stopped teasing me at high school? When? When I got in a fight and won, because mm. I'd been doing martial arts, you know, after school mm. for so long. And just because I, I dyed my hair pink and I wore, a, like, I literally was like super fruity alternative kid, you know, like, <laughs> me, and, me and my boys were like the metlers and the punks. This is before I got into hardcore, which has a much better fashion sense. Um, <laughs> we like, you know, like I dyed my hair pink and I'd wear a kilt and bright yellow Doc Martin boots. And I was like everything I could to be the opposite of the rugby culture school that I went to, you know, because that was my rejection, right? That was my teenage rejection of what I saw around mm-hmm. me. But do you know when I started changing is when guys at school started treating me different because I was good at fighting. 
And it's this weird fucking thing where I like increasingly like, all right, well, I'll cut my hair short and I got, you know, like I got stereotypically muscular and I covered my body in fucking tattoos. And like, I've gone through this, like how without realizing it, I've kind of made myself look like a man is meant to look. Do do you know what I Mm -hmm. mean? And And I still am struggling with that. I'm like, that's, and that's the thing. Do you know, like, do you know why I can go to, like, I've talked to thousands of young people and I, I'm not trying to be self-aggrandizing, but I'm really good at it. <laughs> you know, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Young men will take time out of their fucking day to come find me after I've talked at their school. Like, a lot of kids don't even want to go to school. They'll come find me on Instagram and be like, yo, man, came talk to my school. We never thought about it like that. Thanks, dude, you know? Or, like, you know, I talked at a, at a, at a, at a few schools in Australia last year, and then I was at a music festival, and a bunch of, like, teenage kids mobbed up on me and were like, yo, man, you were at our school the other day. And I was like, oh, and they're like, really good talk, man. Like, it's real good. It came from a, from a bloke. And I'm like, oh, yo. And so it's this weird thing where I'm like, well, these ideas are problematic. shouldn't matter that I'm a dude or that I look this way or whatever, but it works. You know what I mean? I'm like, it's Sometimes you've got to take the win. I'm trying right? to take the like, win. I'm trying to take the win. It's a fucking hard one. Like, I'm not saying anything like feminist activists haven't been saying essentially for years, but how I fucking say it and the way I look it, in a stereotypical bro dude thing, which I'm trying to deconstruct, is at the same time why I'm effective at doing it. And it's this weird thing in my head. I'm like, ah, this is so hard. You know what I mean? Like, because <laughs> if I, if I, if I was like, if I was um, a more um, stereotypical effeminate dude and I wore a fucking cardigan and like my sporting background was in, I don't know, checkers or something, I, I'm not entirely sure I'd be able to do the work as well as I do. Does that make sense, Tash? Yeah, absolutely. And and I think that's, I, and I don't that's know one of do. the challenges. I don't know what to do with that, you know, like. Maybe you don't have to do anything with it. I mean, maybe that's. Maybe that's your space, and that's a space that that you get to be in. I mean, one of the I had a, com- I had a conversation on Twitter because we haven't talked about Twitter for about ten minutes. So <laughs> um, I had a conversation on Twitter not too long ago. Um, a friend, a friend of mine, who um, uh, invited me into a conversation on Twitter um, with with a, a man who who had just really encountered this idea of like, wow. Um, there are there are women out there who have a lot to say about my about my field. So he he works in in kind of Christian pastoral work, and he was like, "Whoa, you know, we really need to like invite women to our table to have this conversation, and and then I need to start teaching other people how to do this." And and I got so I got invited to join that conversation, and I was like, "Hey, dude, thank you, thank you that you are learning, thank you that you are you know interested, thank you that you are engaging, also." please don't worry about inviting us to your table just yet. Perhaps you should ask for an invitation to ours, you know? Oh, yeah. And I think that there's a there's some sort of synchronicity and there's something um, that's a bit reciprocal about the fact that, that there is a space that you can go to and speak to because of who you mm. are, where where you just get to you get to to shortcut right you get to you get to jump over the the prolonged intros and the small talk and get to the heart of it, you know, with a group of people that that I as a woman and as you know as someone who had you know ten years of youth work experience, I couldn't get to those places mm. um, because you know there's something in that shared lived experience that that speaks to people out of who you are. In the same way that yeah. there are people I can speak to that you that, that, that I couldn't. couldn't, yeah, you know. Do you, do you know that's really, yeah, you're right. 
Do you, can I, yeah, I guess where I came to accept, realize that, because I'm, I constantly struggle with what they call imposter syndrome, to be honest with you, <laughs> We all do. Do you, do you really? Because. <laughs> oh, I'm writing a book at the moment. Oh, really? Do you know how hard it is? Oh, to get up and put pen to paper and then just be like, I'm a fraud. Everybody, Dude. everybody that has said this has said it better than me before. I should just give up. That's why yeah, I don't write. Go. I don't even write fucking blog posts for that same reason, you know, let alone books, dude. Like shit. Um, yeah. Where I kind of have recently come and be like, oh, maybe I am alright at what I do, despite the fact that I can say I'm good at what I do sometimes. Is I went and spoke at um at maximum security prison the other day. Mm-hmm. Well, not the other day, but for White Ribbon Month for White Ribbon, mm-hmm. and um. I never had such an engaged audience. Like I talked to men who were like convicted rapists and murderers and mm-hmm. like the full spectrum of high, high, uh, I don't know what to call it. Um, like maximum offending, you know, yeah. men, men that in my twenties, I would never have like given the time of day, you know, and I, I would have said some horrible shit. Like, yeah, those people just said to be locked up forever or bring back the death penalty or some ignorant shit, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, this guy stood up at the end of it and pushed aside this table and did this super moving haka after I talked about my story and how, and like I was in tears in front of a room full of like maximum security convicts. And like, and he came up to me and said, I've seen you on TV with the kickboxing and stuff. And I'd love to try train with you when I get out. And like, he talked about his offending, which had been against women historically and um, where he come from and shit like that. And I was just like, wow, man, like, I'm glad to be here and just laying it all out and then adding what I've learned on my journey on top of that, like, and it's connected with you. And, and, and yeah, I guess you're right. Like, I guess that's the point I'm saying. I'm reiterating what you're saying. I don't know why I'm telling this story. Like, that's like a what, great story. Like, if I, if I hadn't listened, if I didn't look like I looked and if I hadn't spent my fucking youth fighting people <laughs> and, like, if I hadn't, like, growing up how I grew up and all and made my mistakes then that bro might not ever have connected with me he might have just sat there mm-hmm. with his arms folded but I guess um well yeah I don't know yeah and I think that's what we need more guys to do I guess it's just like all the men I work with like um are you familiar with like Vic Tamati and Phil Pikeia and yeah 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 some of those guys for sure some of those men have there's like I, you know, Phil uh, Vic just got a award, like what do you call it at the end, like Queen's Honors or what mm-hmm. at the end of the year for his services to f- stopping violence, and um, he's amazing, man. Like I've listened to his testimony, and he he was both a victim and perpetrator of like horrific violence, um, and listening to him talk about his journey of change and the vulnerability he elicits from the hardest of men. Like I've stood in a marae with him to talking with with like patch gang members and shit, and there you could hear a pin drop when he's t- telling his story. Like those are the people that have got what you were talking about, like a unique ability to reach the hardest to reach people. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I mm-hmm. think I think that's what we need to do is like find the right messenger for the right audience. And I think that's you know that ties into like guess the overarching theme of this conversation. Perhaps is that like. Not everyone can tell everyone else how to do it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like you need to find the right spokesperson to the right group. Mm-hmm. Like like pseudo like academic 
uh, masters having of feminist fucking whatever understandings isn't necessarily going to reach this audience. And, mm-hmm. and, can, and conversely, I'm not going to reach this audience and blah, 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 blah. So how do we come together as a community of people who do overarchingly want the same changes in society to happen? Like, okay, well, you talk here and I'll talk here and you do that and let's try not to argue so much about our overall minor differences and put those aside and work towards the greater good. Because what, yeah. what I struggle with and I hope I'm making sense, but what I struggle with is that we get so caught up as progressive people or activists or leftists or whatever, arguing with ourselves and trying to show how much better we are at doing or how much more that we know that we actually stop doing the work in a forward-facing <laughs> way. Do you know what I mean? I, I I really, really do. I mean, in, in the transformation work that I do with, you know, with organisations um, as well as, you know, with individuals, but mostly with organisations, you know, what you've just talked about is the thing that makes the key amount of difference in how an organisation can transform its culture or its business outcomes. Um, and, and really what it is, is is trying to figure out, like, what's the minimum amount of stuff that we need to agree on? And then what's the next step in action that we that we need to take as a result of that? I think part of that comes back to, you know, what we were talking about before, which is, you know, what are the what are the questions or what's the calling in as you talked about it? I love that phrase. You know, what's the calling in? What's the invitation that I can offer to the people whose ear I have? Right? Yeah, and, exactly. And, and if we could all just understand, I mean, I I love I love speaking with you and hearing about the invitation that you're offering to people, you know, as much as I think it would be fascinating for, you know, for you to understand the or to hear the invitations that, that other people who are connected with the same kind of ideology are sharing. And, and if we could all understand the invitations that we're offering to people to engage in these conversations and to engage in this, you know, different kind of way or, or t- trying to transform the world we're living in, mm. we'd I, I, probably better off, we'd have a better understanding of each other to start with. Hundred percent, and we'll be fucking happier. Like you know, like this, I guess like it's so in my subconscious that like the problematic aspects of Twitter come up all the time in these sorts of conversations. You know what I mean? Because like it mm-hmm. really bothers me, and um, and increasingly that's the thing. You know, like you often see social commentators and journalists like bemoaning Twitter, but they're still on Twitter. Do you know what I mean? Like <laughs> foraging for, for stories. Yeah, foraging, yeah, oh, oh my god, it's so it's nonsense. What makes the papers these days sometimes? But anyway. Um, I think a lot of people are frustrated with not just Twitter, but social media as a platform for these conversations because we don't agree, as you said, really, really succinctly on the least amount of things that we need to agree on to do the work. We want to, mm-hmm. we want to get people to agree on fucking everything, but that's just not humanly possible. And I feel like a lot of people don't have basic understandings of like human behavior change and psychology when it comes to helping people change their ideas and their values and their actions shame is a really shitty fucking teacher you know what i mean like Mm. i mean at least external no so at least externally impose shame like the shame other people impose on you for your perceived wrongdoings and these days it's like perceived wrong thoughts or perceived wrong you said the wrong word or the wrong tweet or whatever and Mm. then that becomes like this like that becomes who you are to the public, you know, like people can extrapolate out on like 140 characters 
and turn it into like a blog post or a story on some sort of like left wing like sometimes website. they can sometimes and they can turn it into war and peace like can, yeah exactly amazing. and it's just like yo did you even ask that person for clarification or did you ring them up for like a proper corridor around what their actual values are you know like <laughs> when you have a face-to-face conversation which is something that we're doing less and less in the modern world you can clarify things or you can quantify things or you can at least see the emotion in that person's face when they're saying it or hear the tone in their voice. But these days we're talking about these super complicated subjects that are all relatively new into the public space. And a lot of us are figuring it out as we go along and going, oh, they said this thing, boom, got a victim. You know, like it's about like taking scalps. And I'm like, how's that help? How does that help Mm -hmm. anyone? How does mm-hmm. it? And then it's then is it any wonder we're getting like this real devolution into us and them, and that's manifesting now, like more broadly in physical violence. When you think about what's happening in America, at least you know, like we've got like this really galvanized, polarized, extreme left and right, and that's coming out in um, like the Proud Boy movement, who are like alt right, like neo masculinist type fucking guys who are all about like smashing, smashing people over at protests. And you've got Antifa, you know, who mm-hmm. are also using physical violence as an acceptable means to an end. And while I obviously ideologically agree with the broad strokes of Antifa's movement, I don't think going out and punching motherfuckers in the face in the street and people will be somebody's be like, but you're a kickboxer. <laughs> like is the right, is the right way to do it. That's not going to create social change. It's going to, that's how you end up in like civil wars and like prolonged violence. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. if, if yeah. you extrapolate it out, like if you go out to like, where is this heading in the long run? You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. I was in this crazy blog space last night because I try best to read people's, well, I'm trying more to read people's ideas who I don't agree with. Um, right. And it was so yuck, dude. Like, this guy, I forget his name, but it was awful. And he had a really huge following. Uh, was talking about, like, the feminization of society and the gender war hashtag. You know, like, talking about how it's not just a war on toxic masculine anymore. It's a, and he's using, like, the Juliet ad and all this sort of shit as, like, an example of, like, the broader feminization side and how we're trying to, to get rid of anything remotely masculine. You know, like, he's, <laughs> you, do, do you know what I mean? It was yeah. like in Fear order to at the highest heights. Yeah, yeah to, in order to like um in order to like set the scene for the twenty twenty election where like Hillary Clinton will be like an acceptable candidate or some shit because she's a woman because we've like devalued manhood so much and shit. Like I'm not doing a good job of paraphrasing what he said, but it was like some out there shit. Like it was I was like, yo. Dude, like, what is, like, who hurt you, bro? Like, what has happened? <laughs> do, do, do you know? Yeah, and on, and, on, and on the other end, I've found, like, you know, left-wing or progressive blogs, which is similarly, I feel, unhinged. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I'm like, when it gets extreme like that, you, but you, that's unhealthy for our broader society. And that's mm-hmm. when things can end up in, like, physical violence. And that's that's a massive problem. Yeah, and I think that your observations are some that we should pay attention to because, you know, as we've sort of talked about, you're 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 pre-programmed, you're you're primordially wired to sense instability, 
you know, because of because of where you grew up and, and mm. some of that, right? So when so when you say, hey, this is this is unhinged, this is out of balance, this is out of whack, oh well, you know, that that's something that, that we need to pay attention to because it's it's an indicator for it's an indicator of culture, you know, it's kinda like a it's a thermometer in the bath, so to speak. Um if I could ask one question, um, you know, what's the we've talked a bit about invitation we've talked a bit about questions like what's the what's the invitation what's the call the calling in that you would love to that you would love to get as you continue the work that you're doing um is there is there an invitation that 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 you'd still love to receive that you haven't whether it's to a conversation or a platform or a, a group of people well that's big that's a big question i like um, big ones <laughs> yeah, no, so do I. Yeah, I do. <laughs> like, my boys are always like, bro, you never turn off. Like, now that you're not depressed anymore, all you think about is this big picture shit, dude. Like, what's going on with you? Like, because I tried to, yeah. Um. Anyway, um, I don't know. I don't know. I would like to, I want to keep doing this work and speaking to bigger and bigger audiences. And I'm always trying my best to learn. I want to, I'm actually like, how do I go back to university or how do I, you know, like I've, I do a lot of research. I read a lot of academic literature. I increasingly get talked to like really smart people. I was speaking at like medical schools about, you know, sexual violence prevention and pornography and all this sort of stuff. I'm like, wow, this is weird. And I want to, I don't know, I guess I'm open to, to any sort of invitation to come and learn, you know, mm. and, 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 um, I don't know about being called in wise, but I, I always want to learn, you know, like I always want to learn about how to do this better. So I'm increasingly like getting over my self-consciousness and then emailing people. So I email like guys who study masculinity. So I've been talking like a little bit to Michael Flood in Australia. There's an old professor in Texas called uh, Robert Jensen. Guys whose work I discovered, Robert Jensen I discovered when I was 20. And I email them now. I'm like, yo, I work in the space and I wouldn't do that if it wasn't for your work. And like, I always want to have a conversation, you know what I mean? So mm. um, I think I'm, I'm meeting up with a university professor at the University of Auckland on Tuesday because I read, or maybe it's Wednesday, one day, that I read an article she wrote. And I just increasingly, if no one invites me, I'll invite myself. I emailed her and I was like, hey, you might not have heard of me, but this is what I do. And I always want to learn. And do you have like... Um, a regular email because I want to keep up to date with the research or your research or your findings. And I might not agree with it all, but I want to be, I want to build these bridges because I see so much work done in silos and it's competitive mm. and it's competitive and people want to put, I don't know, like almost themselves ahead of the greater good or their organization's funding in it. And I get that. And like, so I'm just trying my best to be like, oh, you should talk with this person. And I'm trying really hard to like get to know everyone in this space. And I'm aware there are people who don't like me or they don't like how I do the work or whatever. And that's cool. You don't have to like me, but um, please don't like at least be malicious about me. Do, do, do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I do. Um, so I don't know. Like, I, I, don't know who, I don't know. I don't know who I want to. I'd love to get invited by anyone who, who does think about uh, gender inequality or um, violence prevention or masculinity research or mental health, anyone who ever like is working in that space um, and has done so for a long time. Cause I can't go to every, like a lot of people get in touch and they've got, you know, some new brainwave about this. I'm like, I'm sorry, I, I can't do everything, but people mm -hmm. who, who have been doing it for a while and can teach 
or want to collaborate or whatever, I'm always open to like learning because I don't have it all figured out. I was talking to um, Dr. Kim McGregor, who set up the government, who set up rape crisis Auckland. She set up like the initial rape crisis responses in like I think the 80s and 90s. And now she's like the government advisor when it comes to like victims advocacy. She's an amazing woman. And um, I said, like, I feel real fake doing this because I don't have a doctorate like you do in sexual violence prevention, for example. And she said, don't worry, none of us do. <laughs> you know, like, we're all learning as we go in this space. And the secret is, the secret is to uh, just be open to learning instead of, open to, instead of always wanting to win. And I think that's, that's where I'm always open to have a conversation. I'm like, yo, I'll go anywhere and listen to fucking anyone who's constructive, even if I don't agree with them. You know what I mean? Hi, it's Dash, and it's time for the credits. Thanks for joining us on this episode of The Transformationist. Please subscribe, rate, and review this episode wherever you listen to it, and share it with a friend. Visit thetransformationist.org for links to the resources mentioned in this episode, and to subscribe to our email updates. You can also share your transformation story with us there, and I would love to hear from you. As always, this episode is produced by Michael Yoda at Truthwork Media. Music is by Hans Van Vliet. For more about me and the transformation work I do, check out the website. This show is proudly made possible by Solar Feeder Consulting.